The title of my message this morning is Lost and Found. It's a, it's a message about uh, revival and renewal, and it concerns God's Word. Uh, as an example, and, as, and by way of introduction, I'd like to use um, uh, an example from my profession. Uh, as many of you know, I'm a professional engineer in the field of civil engineering, and, and, and I design bridges. And uh, bridge, designers, bridge engineers love concrete, and uh, we, don't do a, we don't do a bridge that doesn't have some sort of concrete in it. Uh, but it wasn't always like that. Uh, we didn't have um, the concretes um, in the past. They didn't have the kind of concretes that they have now. And I'd like to spend just a little time by way of example of, of talking about that. Um, ancient Egypt had a, had a mortar, which was used to put bricks together, that was made of gypsum. And ancient Greece used a mortar made from lime. And those two things were fine, except that they, weren't, they were non-hydraulic. That is, that they wouldn't set underwater, and if, you, and, if, and, if they, and if they were set, but then if you had submerged them in water, it would dissolve, and, and the, it wouldn't remain permanent. Um, later, the Greeks and the Romans found out that if you made your lime from limestone that had clay impurities in it, or if you added ground-up volcanic um, substances called pozzolans, uh, to the lime, or if you ground up bricks, burned bricks, and you ground that up fine and you add it to the lime, then by a chemical reaction that we will not go into this morning, um, the, 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 uh, the mortar became hydraulic. That is, it would, it would set underwater, and it would remain permanent if it was submerged in water. And I can, I can guarantee you with 100% certainty that, say, the bridge that they're replacing uh, near Brookwood Dillon's on 29th Street... I can guarantee you that they, they placed concrete in the foundation under the water level and that um, were it not for the innovations of the, of the ancient Romans and Greeks to make hydraulic uh, cement that goes into that concrete, that it wouldn't work. Well, guess what? Um, over time and through the Middle Ages, the, the art of making mortar that, was, that, that used pozzolans and that, and that would... Um, remain uh, hard um, when exposed to water, it, it gradually was lost, and it gradually the mortar quality deteriorated, and, 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 and so on and so forth, and almost became almost went out of existence until our hero arrived, John Smeaton. John Smeaton in England, 1756. Uh, um, incidentally, the first person to call himself a civil engineer. Uh, he experimented with limes and pozzolans when he had to. He was commissioned to repair a lighthouse at Eddystone, and uh, he knew that the the mortar he had would not work when battered by the waves, and and uh, it, it just wouldn't take. The repairs he needed wouldn't last. So he he found out. He rediscovered what was lost that the Romans and Greeks had found regarding adding these additives to the lime and making this high quality, water resistant, water impervious mortar. And so today, that he's the beginning of the, of the uh, kind of good concrete and mortar that we have today. How could such an important innovation, such an exciting thing as uh, hydraulic concrete and, and hydraulic mortar, how could, how could that have become lost, almost lost? You know, it's, um, and yet it is. And, and histories, if you watch the History Channel at all, you find all these innovations that the ancients had that were lost for a long period of time and became found again or, or were rediscovered. 
That's true of God's Word as well. And, as we, and where we'll be at this morning in terms of uh, rediscovering God's Word, our two places in the Old Testament will be in 2 Kings chapter 22, and then later we'll be in Nehemiah chapter 8. In 2 Kings chapter 22, we're going to read about Josiah. Um, you remember that after David and Solomon, uh, things went downhill in a hurry. Uh, the country split into Israel in the north and Judah in the south. Every king Israel ever had was bad, and almost every king that Judah had was, was bad except for a few, and Josiah was one of the few good ones. Starting in verse 1, Josiah, I'll be skipping, by the way, I'll be skipping kind of through, and I'll, I'll let you know when I'm skipping, just for brevity. Uh, verse 1, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. Verse 2, he did what was... He did right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the way of his father David, nor did he turn aside to the right or to the left. <clears throat> One of the things Josiah did was uh, to reinstitute a, a cleaning out and a refurbishing of the temple. And, and I'm just summarizing the next couple of verses. So he sent people in to do that task. And when they did that, they, did, they made a discovery. Verse 8, Then Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan who read it. Verse 10, Moreover, Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. Then the king commanded, Go, verse 13, Go, inquire of the Lord for me and the people and all Judah concerning the words of this book. That, that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that burns against us, because our fathers have not listened to the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. So they go consult Huldah, the prophetess. I apologize if any of these names, if you know that I'm speaking them incorrectly, I apologize. Huldah, the prophetess. She said to them, verse 15, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I bring evil on this place and on all its inhabitants, even all the words of the book which the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and have burned incense to other gods that they might provoke me to anger with all the work of their hands. Therefore my wrath burns against this place, and it shall not be quenched. But to the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, regarding the words which you have heard, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and you have torn your clothes and wept before me, I truly have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you will be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes will not see all the evil which I will bring on this place. So they brought back word to the king. Now what was this thing that horrified Josiah? It was that in this book that they found was uh, contained Deut the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy. And in chapter 28 of the book of Deuteronomy, Moses tells the people of Israel when he's giving them the law, look, if you obey the, God, if you obey the Lord and if you follow His ways and His covenant, then I'm going to bless you in all these great ways. And he goes on and on. And then, but... If you do not follow my covenant, and if you disobey me, and if you rebel against me, then I'm going to curse you in this way. And he goes on and on even further about how he's going to curse 
curse them if they do not obey. And Josiah knew that in the time that had happened since then, they had not obeyed. That there was a lot to be worried about because God was going to be faithful to his word. And that's, what, that's all Huldah the prophetess was saying was that God is going to do what he said he would do in the book of Deuteronomy. What's Josiah's, what's Josiah's response? Second uh, Kings uh, 23, verse 1. The king sent, and they gathered to him all the elders of Judah and of, and of Jerusalem. The king went up to the house of the Lord, and all the men of Judah, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with him, and the priests and the prophets, and all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which was found in the house of the Lord. The king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to carry out the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people entered into the covenant. Josiah responded by with actions, not just saying that he was that he felt sorry and not just saying, but he actually went and we won't go on into what he did, but I'll describe it to you. He tried to cleanse the nation of Judah um, of idolatry because, and I really had kind of forgotten this till I read this, but the depth to which Judah had descended into idolatry was almost hard to imagine. Every single place in the whole country, even the temple, was filled with idols, filled with idols to Baal, filled with idols to Molech, filled with idols to Asherah, and all the horrible practices that they, that they practiced they, des- they really deserved everything that God said he was going to do. So Josiah did all he could do to try to rid the, the land of all those practices. He, 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 uh, he tore down everything he could, every shrine to the idols. He even dug up dead men's bones and burned their bones, the, the evil men that were leaders of these things. And he just tried to do everything he could to break the cycle of idolatry. Uh, it didn't work. He died... The nation went back to its old ways, and uh, that leads us to our next part of, of um, this morning, and that is in Nehemiah chapter 8. Israel had been conquered by the Assyrians, and they were scattered. Judah is taken by Babylon back to Babylon. Those that weren't killed were taken back to Babylon until the Persians took over, and then they were allowed to go back to Jerusalem where they rebuilt a smaller temple and started to rebuild the, the city of Jerusalem. So, so 180 years had passed since between Josiah, about 180 years, between Josiah and between what we're going to read in Ezra and Nehemiah. So, uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 5. Ezra, the priest, um, sees that the people, you know, they're building all these things, but they, he sees that, that they don't, they need, they need spiritual enlightenment. They don't, they don't know what they should. They don't know what they should know about God. I mean, they were idol. They were idolaters to begin with when they left for Babylon. They didn't get any better in Babylon. So this is a start of, of, um, of an awakening, as it were, um, for the people. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, "Amen, Amen," while lifting up their hands. Then they bowed low and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, and I won't read them all, but the Levites explained the law to the people while the people remained in their place. They read from the book, from the law of God, 
translating to give the sense, so that they understood the reading. Then Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest, and the scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people were weeping when they heard the the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go, eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. All the people went away to eat, to drink, and to send portions, and to celebrate a great festival, because they understood the words which had been made known to them. These people were just like Josiah in that they, when they heard what, how far away they were, how lost they were without even really knowing it, they understood the implications. They understood by their sorrow and weeping that they weren't even close to the God that, that, they, that they should know, the true God. And this is my favorite part of this message in this story. It was the response of God through Ezra and Nehemiah and instructed them not to, not to keep mourning, but rather to be joyful and to celebrate. Because really it is, it is a cause of celebration when you're lost and then, you, and then you become found again. When you're shown mercy and grace. When, you know, there's, there's people that think that God is a, a little kid with the sun, with a magnifying glass in the sun burning ants, you know, um, as it were. And, and, and God's not like that. God, is, God wants it to be a celebration when people find out about Him and, fi- and rediscover His Word, rediscover Him. I like it that this is a, um, a picture of mercy and grace in the Old Testament, that, um, that God loves us and that He's not going to beat us down if we come to Him humbly just like Josiah did and like these people did with a contrite heart. He's not going to send us away empty-handed. There was, there was still, okay, just like Josiah, these people had some heavy lifting to do as well. Once they were confronted with, with their sin, they had to do something. You see, because the first thing they did when they came back from Babylon is they married foreign wives from, from land, the land around Israel. And, and, and when you marry a foreign wife, you, you worship your foreign wife's God. And so they're heading right back to the place where they were in Josiah's time. They were heading back um, right to where they were, where they, they, they would be cursed again. Ezra and Nehemiah knew that they had to act, and so they... Uh, instructed these people that they must send their wives, their foreign wives, and the children that they had with their foreign wives away. And while that sounds awfully, it sounds awful. You know, you see the pictures, these personal pictures of families being ripped apart. But on the other hand, it would be awful if the nation descended into what it was and if it did not maintain its, its, um, its set-apartedness to God by allowing these pagan practices to to infiltrate back in. So they had some very hard things to do, and they did it. And, and, and they did it, and from that point on, idolatry in that form, as I understand it, was not the kind of problem that it was in previous generations. You know, applications for us to, um, today... Um, because this is a no-brainer, okay? We're going to rediscover and not let God's Word be lost on us. That's the main thing from this morning. 
we need to start reading it. And before I go any further, I want to read a little uh, section of, of uh, a commentary. Halley's, Halley's Bible Handbook. It's a little folksy thing from the, from the 20s. I think it was first written in the 20s. Old Mr. Halley says of uh, chapter 7 and 8 of, of Nehemiah, This public reading and exposition of God's book brought a great wave of repentance among the people, a great revival, and a solemn covenant to keep the law as noted in chapters 9 and 10. It was the finding of the book of the law that brought Josiah's great reformation. It was Martin Luther's finding of a Bible that made the Protestant Reformation and brought religious liberty to our modern world. The weakness of present-day Protestantism, circa 1927, but still true today, even more so, the weakness of present-day Protestantism is its neglect of the Bible, which it professes to follow. The grand need of today's pulpit is simple expository preaching. Um, you know, that's one little lesson is that if you're going to go to a church, whether it's this one or another one, and, and you don't go to one that doesn't preach the Bible from, from up here. You know, we're, whoever's up here does you a disservice if we don't preach from God's Word. And if, uh, if, the, if the church is great with, with a great, uh, you know, every program and, and great singing and a children's choir and, and on and on, but if they're not up here um, preaching God's Word then it's a waste, and it's not worth going to. So that's a little mini lesson. Don't go to a church that doesn't preach the Bible. You know, for us, um, rediscovering God's Word has implications. You know, we may be confronted with, with, um, with sin in our lives. That's the, that's the main value. If we don't know the Bible, we can't know God and what He says about, about our lives, about us having a relationship with Him. So... We see from the two accounts that God takes sin seriously, that He demands action once we're uh, aware of what uh, we need to do. And finally, the last thing is, we need to be glad for our new chance, just like in Ezra. They, were, they didn't view it as condemnation, they viewed it, and they were instructed to view it as a chance to reform and to get back with God. And that's true for us too. We need to do that by reading God's Word. Apart from God's Word, that sounds so horrible, but I mean, uh, in addition to God's Word, um, that's a better way to say it, we need to be, point, the second point of application is we need to be open to change um, in our life. God can do that through His Bible, but He can do it in other ways too. And those other ways could bring about a kind of revival or, or a, um, a renewal in our lives. You know, one thing is um, if somebody else has something that they'd like to share with you um, about you. And I've kind of approached this uh, from the negative. But um, if, we're, if we're criticized, if, if a brother or sister in Christ is courageous enough to come to you and say, um, you know, I've noticed that every time we gather, you eat more than you even bring. Or, <laughs> you know... What if, you know, you're being a glutton? Or what if somebody says, Sean, that song, the way you sang it, no one knows how to sing it that way. You're not singing it the right way. Okay? You're misleading the people. Well, if I don't really, I never really knew that until it was pointed out to me. No one likes to hear that kind of stuff. My old boss at uh, KDOT had a little folksy plaque that said, uh, criticism is hard to take. From a friend, acquaintance, 
or a complete stranger. Point being, it's hard to take no matter what from anybody. But if we reject uh, criticism, good criticism from people who love us, for our good, if we reject that just because we don't want to hear it, then we're missing out. We're missing out on, on being able to be free of something that's ugly that we can't see. And that's something that we need to be open to. Be open to criticism. Another thing that, that, um, that we could change is, uh, that I thought about is uh, in, in, in Revelation chapter 2. And you can go there if you want. We're just going to read a few verses. When, when Jesus speaks to the church at Ephesus, you know, he speaks to all the churches and he tells them what they're doing right and what they're doing wrong. I'll just jump in kind of arbitrarily at, chapter, at, or at verse 3. Uh, Jesus says, you have, shown, you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen. Repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place, unless you repent. You know, maybe there was a time when we were um, fresh, fresh and new with God and had, were newly saved and we did everything right and out of great motivation and, you know, out of emotion, a motivation of love. And, and then over the years, probably because we weren't reading our Bible or maybe because we just sort of got old and tired or whatever, um, we, we, stopped, we stopped doing the things that, that we used to do because we had a, an intense love for God. You know, maybe we stopped communicating in a personal way with God like we used to. Or uh, maybe we kind of got up and caught up in the materialism of this world and we start loving things more than other people. Or maybe we, uh, we don't pray for lost souls again like we used to be really intent on doing. Where we'd pray for people we knew didn't know the Lord. You know, those things that, that uh, if you find yourself being dry, you know, and you're confronted with that, then then it's time to, to try to reclaim that. Re- try to reclaim that relationship with God that results in these things out of a motivation of love, not just rote experience or habit like is described in, in, um, in Jesus' conversation with the church in Ephesus. Let's, recla- let's reclaim that first love. My final uh, point this morning is a little incidental, but... Um, it, it is related to the, the, the experiences of, of uh, Josiah and of, of Nehemiah and Ezra. And that is that cultural renewal is worth sacrifice. Um, you know, it was 180 years between Josiah and between the, the people coming back from Babylon. And in that 180 years, they had lost God's word, found it, lost it again at least twice. And I think of today... And I'm just going to pick an arbitrary point in our contemporary times, but I know it's been way less than 180 years since, say, Darwin wrote Origin of Species. Since Darwinism came about, I'll just pick that as a sort of point. Back then, our country, and I don't mean to equivocate the United States of America with, with Israel, they're not the same, but in a way, we find ourselves living in this country and in our country, our culture has gone away from God. And as a whole, um, the leaders don't love God like they used to, in my opinion. At least a lot of them don't. And so, 
when I think of me and Tanya raising our family, and I think of us sacrificing by, by doing uh, various things that enable us to teach our children God's Word, teach them in the way they should go, so when they grow old they won't depart from it. And when I think that um, by doing that, and by sacrificing that, by, do, by sacrificing to do that, that we're changing the course of the Schwenson family tree spiritually. We're preserving what godliness is there, and we're even enlarging that. And if other young families um, are doing the same thing, then for me, it helps me to make those sacrifices when I think that culturally we can do our part to, to change what we have here in the United States one family at a time from the bottom up. Because the, in, in Josiah's day, now I will admit, that was kind of from the top down, but the same kind of thing was going on in that it, was a, it wasn't just an individual renewal, it was a corporate and, and a nationwide movement, I'll say. And I would sure like to see that in our country, um, one family at a time. And for any young families, I'd just say it's worth it. You know, it, it, it encourages me and it should encourage you that by, by rediscovering God's Word and preserving it in your kids, that, that we can make a change and a difference in our country. I'd like to conclude with a, with a story of mine that kind of, I think, kind of brings home, at least it did for me. It's one of the first things I thought of when I uh, went to start teaching. And that is about this topic. And that is uh, being personally lost, physically lost. How many of you here have gotten lost while hunting, let's say? <laughs> Raise your hands. Huh? I'm looking for a guy in the front row over here. How many have been lost and not known it? Yeah, yeah, okay. <clears throat> I had my newly acquired muzzle loader in hand as I walked into the, the river bottom. And you know, before we, us guys, we'd hunted during the winter time, and there weren't any tr- leaves on the trees, and uh, I knew where I was going, and so I walked, but now it was different, it was in September, and it was a leafy jungle, and I walked in um, near this little pond, and there was a little outlet pipe there, and I walked in uh, in search of my, the buck of my dreams, and uh, you know, stumbling through the woods. And after a while, you know, I was uh, swatting mosquitoes more than anything else. And, but I kept walking through, and, you know, nothing really looked familiar, but uh, I kind of knew, I thought I knew where I was going. I knew that in a certain, after a certain while, I'd be at a certain place, and, you know, I'd certainly recognize it then. And I kept going and kept going, and, well, I, uh, I approached the, the edges of the, of the woods, and I, I stepped out, and there was this pipe. And there was this pond, and I realized, and all this I'm about to say occurred to me in, a, in the matter of a second and a half, it just condensed so quickly, I realized I had walked in a circle and not known it. I'd been lost and not known it. And there's nothing more horrifying than realizing that you were lost and you didn't know it. Because we're in control, we want to know where we're at, we, we want GPS, we want... We don't want to be alone in the woods and be lost and not know it. And I realized retroactively that I had been lost and not knowing it. And so that is, I felt the way, I mean, not quite the way Josiah felt, but I can identify with Josiah and with the people and Ezra. Um, And then immediately after that, I knew, following on that, I I felt relief because I knew where I was. 
because I realized I'd been lost. But then I knew I was lost because I knew it was a circle. I'd seen that pipe, and now I knew where I was. And then I was sort of, after the fact, this is all catching up to my mind, I'm relieved that I'm now back safe and found. And, you know, for us as, as, as people who, who love God and want to follow His ways, and history bears this out, that if we don't stick close to God's Word um, and we neglect it, then it's, a, then it's, almost, it's a certainty historically that we're going to slide and we're going to fail and we're going to draw away and become dry. We need to stay close to God's Word. And if we do, we'll remain, we'll, remain, we'll be found. We won't, be, we won't have to experience that loss. And so I just want to encourage us to stay close to the, the standard that God's Word is um, and to be joyful um, about it, that gift for us. Lord, thank you for these accounts in your word about people who failed, about people who um, you revealed your word to again and again and over and over. I'm thankful that you don't give up on us, that you show us mercy and grace that we don't deserve. We're so thankful for your word. Help us to treasure it and, and find time every day in some way to carve it out, to read your word every day. I pray that we'd pass this along to our children too. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen.